Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Joel. Right between Hosea and Amos. The name Joel means Jehovah is God. Why was Joel called to prophesy? Why is any prophet called to prophesy? Verse 1 says that it was the word of the Lord that came to Joel. They aren't words of Joel's own imagination. The words that God put in Joel's mouth, those are the words that he wrote and spoke. So what should we learn from this? We should listen to God's prophets. They're speaking God's words, and we do best to listen, to open our ears. I was reading Jeremiah recently, or I listened to the audio on my way to work, and Jeremiah had a pretty intense message to give to his people, to the leaders of God's people. And Jeremiah starts preaching, he starts writing, and King Zedekiah is just so thankful for the message, right? Absolutely not. Look, you're going to be deported to Babylon. Surely that can't be the message that's from the Lord. Surely Jeremiah is the false prophet. You can see the logic. Jeremiah says, submit to the ruler of Babylon, the Lord will bring you through. If you don't, you'll be destroyed. They rejected the word of God's prophets. And so what happened? What happened to King Zedekiah? Well, the Babylonians killed King Zedekiah's sons before his eyes, and then they gouged his eyes out. Listen to and obey the words of God's prophets. Is it too much to ask? Well, Scripture always records bad things happening to people who reject God's prophets. True prophets of God, they don't just bring any idle words. They bring the words that God's Spirit puts into their mouths. And God called Joel to send a message to his people. And it was because God's people had repeatedly sinned against him. And so God punished them. But before that, he did warn them. In this particular prophecy, God warns them not about what might happen, but what about was presently happening and about to happen. It's like your children. You're disciplining your children. I've told you. Adelaide, Moses, I've told you, do not fight your brothers and your sisters. Well, but, uh, but. No, my command to you is abundantly clear. Well, don't I get some more warnings? No. In fact, your discipline is long overdue. I should have disciplined you last week, yesterday, hours ago. And so often when you discipline your children, it's clear that they're sad only for the discipline. That paddle is really going to sting. My dad would always get the back part of your thigh right there. Ooh, that hurts. But it wakes you up. But it's so often that the children are sad just because of the discipline. 
And I, I figured out the game after a while with Adelaide. And she'd be crying, wailing. And eventually I told her, Adelaide, I'm not impressed with your tears. I'm impressed with your obedience. Actually do what mommy and daddy tell you to do. Are the commands really so hard? I've got your attention, don't I? God sends his prophets, and the message is often guilty. You've done it. You've known my commands. God had weighed the people's deeds on his scales, and they were guilty. They disobeyed, and so God brought judgment. With Joel, and in his time, there was a devastating locust swarm that came. Wiped out the crops, the grapes, the grain. On top of that, there was a drought. There was no water. And the key verse is 2.11. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. And who can endure it? Now, Joel later writes things that we see in, in the New Testament. He who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel prophesies about the Lord pouring out his spirit on all flesh. We read that in Acts, in the account of Pentecost. But that's for a different day. Please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to read through chapter 2, verse 11. The book of Joel, this is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? Tell your sons about it, and let your sons tell their sons, and their sons the next generation. What the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Awake, drunkards, and weep and wail, all you wine drinkers, on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has invaded my land, mighty and without number. Its teeth are the teeth of a lion, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has made my vine a waste, and my fig tree splinters. It has stripped them bare and cast them away. Their branches have become white. Wail like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord. The field is ruined, the land mourns. For the grain is ruined, the new wine dries up, fresh oil fails. Be ashamed, O farmers. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine dries up and the fig tree fails, the pomegranate, the palm also, and the apple tree. All the trees of the field dry up. Indeed, rejoicing dries up from the sons of men. Gird yourselves with sackcloth and lament, O priest. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God. And cry out to the Lord, Alas for the day. For the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Has not food been cut off before our eyes, gladness and joy from the house of our God? 
The seeds shrivel under their clods. The storehouses are desolate. The barns are torn down, for the grain is dried up. How the beasts groan. The herds of cattle wander aimlessly because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I cry, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, for the water brooks are dried up, and the fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, as the dawn is spread over the mountains. So there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it, to the years of many generations. A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses, so they run. With a noise as of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire consuming the stubble. Like a mighty people arranged for battle, before them the people are in anguish, all faces turn pale. They run like mighty men, they climb the wall like soldiers, and they each march in line, nor do they deviate from their paths. They do not crowd each other. They march everyone in his path. When they burst through the defenses, they do not break ranks. They rush on the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. Before them, the earth quakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it's really no wonder today that we want to have our ears tickled. We want to hear pleasant things from God. You read that? Sounds like the other prophets, right? We think, wow, that's a little depressing. It's a little heavy-handed, isn't it? Makes you want to go watch a comedy movie or something, right? A little tension relief. We think that's just too sober. Well, of course it's sobering, because it's what actually happened. The crops were destroyed. When our nation's economy is destroyed, does it do anybody any good to pretend like it hasn't happened? It's unavoidable. It's sad. After these locusts did their work, the crops were gone. Their entire economy was destroyed. The locust swarm, was it just some natural disaster? I mean, locust swarms are pretty common in the Middle East. It says specifically that it didn't happen like this one. Your fathers haven't seen one like this. Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? This came from the Lord. And you know, it's only Christians who can actually be comforted by that. 
this calamity came from God. And you know, in our sin, we've been asking for it for a long time. I know what our sins deserve. It's amazing he hasn't totally wiped us out a long time ago. The nation of Judah, God's people, they had sinned against the Lord over and over. They had sinned and sinned and sinned. And they think, at least some of them, after all, our psalms say that God's loving kindness is everlasting. They continued in sin. They knew that God was gracious, so they took God's grace for granted. Does that sound like anybody we know today? Maybe even some people in this room? How many times last week did you sin reassuring yourself, remember, God's gracious, Jesus died for these sins, as you preach to yourself, as you go headlong into sin? Remember, the sin of the Amorite was not yet complete. Remember that passage? There was, there was a threshold. Imagine this happening in terms of our jobs today. So no one here is a farmer. Has anyone actually lived off of a farm? Maybe you've done some farming work. I tell you, I've helped my grandpa who's a farmer. And he, it, the work is unbelievable. He's a Korean vet, railroader, blind in one eye, half blind in the other. Man, as tough as nails and works circles around me when I go up to his farm, making fun of me the whole time. But we haven't even lived off of a farm, maybe done some work, but imagine all of your crops totally gone. No water. And it wouldn't just be sad. It'd be devastating. Think, they, they have no crops to sell, no crops to eat. It'd be suffering and probably death for a lot of people. So think, in your, your line of work, whatever it is, think about all the work drying up. No more sales. It's a sobering thought. And is the Lord capable of it? Do we take God's mercy and forgiveness for granted? Anyone want me to start tickling your ears yet? There's a reason we avoid the prophets. Verse 3, Joel says, Tell your sons about it, and let your sons tell their sons, and their sons the next generation. They had to tell their children and grandchildren about the judgment that came. Well, it's because they failed to tell their children ahead of time. Judgment will come if you don't change. Don't be like your hard-hearted father. Moses, don't be like your hard-hearted father. Don't. Let the change begin with you. But... They had grown comfortable, and again, they presumed on God's mercy. So here they are telling their sons about the judgment that was imminent, that was happening as they, ha as they saw it. It should sound familiar to us. Listen to Exodus 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine among them. 
and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. How quickly do we forget? Psalm 78, teaching the next generation. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but to keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and in whose spirit was not faithful to God. Teaching the next generation. Those of us here who are winos, winos, there wasn't even a drink to turn for any relief. Look at verse 5. Awake, drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you wine drinkers, on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. There were no grapes, there were no grain, no wine, no whiskey, no beer. God removed their alcohol. He removed even the option to be drunk so that the people would turn to him. But maybe it's not alcohol for you. Maybe it's some other pet sin. Maybe it's some other luxury. I've heard some, some people say, well, I turn to this or that. It helps me cope, helps me get through. Well, that's pretty honest. But let's say that God's removed all those little luxuries from us. That logic, you know, I do this to help me cope, that's of no value against fleshly indulgence. It is fleshly indulgence. So in Joel's day, God removed them, removed the alcohol so that the people would turn to him. Thank you. That's helpful. Verse 19 says, To you, O Lord, I cry. Why does it so often take some disaster for us to call on the Lord? Why must he bring us through pain and suffering for us to turn back to him? And some of us say, well, I've seen the judgment of the Lord. I've cried to him. Looks like to me he isn't listening to me. Some of you might think that way. Well, I'm sorry, you're just making God out to be your errand boy. Maybe you have cried to him. Maybe you've cried out to the Lord. But again, I, I remember my kids. They're crying often because of the spanking that's coming to them. They aren't actually sorry because they hit their brother or their sister. And those cries don't last. I only remember a handful of times in my life when I actually cried for my sins. Do you remember a time in your life where you 
said something hurtful to somebody. So you sinned in some way, and you were brought to tears for your sin. Crying to God isn't necessarily going to result in God doing what we ask him. He's God. He knows what's best for us. He's our father. You know, the logic of children. Jessica was going to discipline Adelaide the other day. I was at work. Or no, she said, Daddy's going to spank you when he comes home. So she said, can you, no, can you please spank me now? <laughs> well, Dad and Mom know what she actually needs, and God knows what we need. God brings judgment to his people so that they will repent. You might say, well, I have repented, and God still doesn't listen to my cries to him. You, so you've repented. So what does that look like? Well, I'm sorry, God. And then we go on about our day. Well, no, my repentance is very heartfelt and passionate and genuine. Does it look like a changed life? Well, maybe for a little while. Let me ask it this way. If God judged us equivalent to our sins against him, if there's a direct proportion, our sins, God's judgment, we'd all be wiped out right now, sitting here, standing here. That's why Christ came. He took the crushing blow that we deserved. Do you ever grow tired of hearing God's call to repentance? Anyone ready to get, get on with life after this sermon? Well, what did Moses write about? You know the Israelites. Moses said, repent, turn away from sin and turn toward God. What did all the prophets write about? Repent, turn away from sin and turn toward God. What did John the Baptist preach? What did our Lord Jesus Christ preach? And the apostles after him, the New Testament writers. You see what we have written in our bulletin, right? And our church cards says, Preaching repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 20. We must preach faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. So what does that sermon look like? If it doesn't at least mention repentance away from sin and toward God, then it's not preaching Christ. It doesn't sound like scripture. It's very simple. Where there is corruption in our hearts, in Christ's church, God will bring punishment. And it's because he loves us. He's not going to let us go. No, Seidel, 
I will not allow you to continue to hit your brothers and your sisters. I will not. Because I love you. And I love them. What kind of woman are you going to grow up to be acting like that? Read something somewhere about a gentle and quiet spirit. Here's how the Apostle Peter writes it. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? The writer to the Hebrews. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Scourges. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Not just a professed righteousness, but actual righteousness in our lives. So think about your life and think about the actual consequences of your actual sins. We tend to get all cosmic and theoretical. What would real consequences look like for our sins? We take God's forgiveness and his mercy for granted. In Joel's day, among God's people, what looked like faith had been exposed. There was just a form there. But they were actually morally depraved. And this depravity, it didn't happen in a vacuum. In Joel's day, before the locusts came, the people of Judah, they were rich and fat and sassy. They were like comfortable Americans in Cincinnati. And corruption often follows a time of wealth. When we're wealthy, when we're successful, when we're at ease, that is often when we forget God. It's the cycle of history. You see it all the time. You've heard this. You have great success, followed by depravity, followed by judgment, followed by repentance, and then life and success again. So where are we? Where are you? The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, Christ Church, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What sort of people ought we to be? Holy conduct and godliness. Well, what a joy that God's given us the church, right? What an absolute joy. And we need to learn more and more what it means to be godly Christians in America. Christians who honor the Lord. It looks like confessing our sins to one another. 
Those sins that we tell ourselves, well, I can keep that under control. At least I'm not like other people. Confess them. We have brothers and sisters here to confess our sins to. And then turn away from them. Repent towards God, like our verse in our bulletin and on our church cards say. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen what happened in Joel's day. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? And God is so kind. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. You can't just take the clothes off, take a shower, and feel better about yourself. That's not what he's talking about. He is gracious and compassionate slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting from evil. Who knows? He might turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. And even some offerings, some drink offerings for the Lord. Because it's all about him anyway. Our repentance and turning to him isn't to puff us up. It's to say, Look what God's done in my life. I was miserable in my sin. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.